to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The People's Scientist. Today, I'm going to be taking you through a topic that I specialized in during my PhD. And as a result, this topic is very near and dear to my heart. And that is chronic high blood pressure, also called hypertension. Now, there may be some people listening to this episode thinking, I'm young, I don't need to listen to this episode. Hypertension is a condition for older people. But actually, that's not the case. As I had published last year in the Journal of Hypertension, the results of our hypertension awareness campaign, we had found that there is a significant proportion of younger adults that have high blood pressure and that are completely unaware. See, that's the dangerous thing with hypertension is that it often has no signs or symptoms and it puts us at risk for so many dangerous conditions and events. Now, as a result, hypertension has been labeled the number one risk factor associated with death in the entire world. It is such a risk factor that the World Health Organization declared a global crisis on hypertension, as it is the number one risk factor for heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, and blindness. As a result, it is so important for us to monitor our blood pressure and to learn ways on how to prevent and manage hypertension. And that's where I come in. So let me start off first by illustrating a little bit about what is high blood pressure and exactly how does it put people at risk for these conditions. So here's a little bit of an analogy. Imagine you're sitting in a backyard and you have a water pump in the backyard. And attached to this water pump is a flexible garden hose of about two inches in diameter. Now the job of the water pump is to push through five liters of water in one minute. Now this water pump can do that job quite easily because that's what it's meant to do. But now imagine instead of a garden hose of about two inches in diameter attached to the water pump, now there's a very narrow and stiff straw that is about half an inch in diameter. But the water pump still has to do the same job. It has to pump through five liters of water in one minute. Now, what do you think is going to happen to the water pump over time? I can tell you that the water pump certainly is going to have to work much harder. And over time, eventually, that water pump will burn out and fail. Now, this is an analogy to our heart and our arteries when we have chronic high blood pressure. Sometimes our arteries can become narrowed, like the narrow stiff straw, because of things like atherosclerotic plaques that can develop if we have high cholesterol and a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation. From example, cigarette smoking, having a diet really high in refined carbohydrates and sugars, being exposed to air pollution, from being exposed to heavy metals like lead and mercury, as I had mentioned in the previous bone broth podcast episode. See, all of these things can increase systemic inflammation and oxidative stress and that can potentially lead to plaques being built up in the blood vessels and our blood vessels becoming narrowed and stiff. As a result, our heart, just like the water pump, has to work so much harder to be able to pump the blood through those narrowed blood vessels to the rest of our organs. As a result, the heart becomes enlarged because it has to work so much harder 
and our other organs such as our eyes, our brain, and our kidneys are receiving so much more pressure than they are used to receiving, essentially leading to organ damage. So that is how high blood pressure starts and how it can put us at risk for all of these conditions. But now that we understand what high blood pressure is, let's jump right into ways on how to prevent and manage hypertension. The most common advice given to lower blood pressure is to reduce dietary salt intake, to increase dietary sources of potassium, to lose weight if someone is overweight, to exercise, to reduce alcohol intake, and to partake in stress management. All of these strategies are very effective for most people and should be established if someone has high blood pressure. But I want to share with you some suggestions outside of these common ideas. So I'm going to be sharing with you a paper that I had published back in 2016 in the journal Critical Reviews in Food Science and Nutrition, looking at dietary strategies, supplements, lifestyle, and medications on the management of hypertension. Now in this paper, we included the gold standard study, which is called a meta-analysis. Now a meta-analysis is done if there are many randomized controlled clinical trials performed looking at one treatment strategy. And essentially, a meta-analysis pulls together all the results across the different trials to finally have one answer. Is this treatment effective or not? And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. So let's jump right into our first category, and that's dietary strategies. The first one I'm going to share with you is actually very some, something very simple, and that is adding garlic to your diet. Now, the authors had combined 11 different clinical trials, totaling 565 patients, looking to see if garlic could lower blood pressure. The investigators looked at dosages ranging from 12.3 to 2,400 milligrams of garlic powder, aged garlic, or distilled garlic oil to the diet every day for 12 to 24 weeks. And the patients did indeed exhibit a significant reduction in blood pressure, similar to the results of what a blood pressure lowering medication can achieve. The next dietary strategy I'm going to explain to you is flaxseed. So for this meta-analysis, the authors had included 15 clinical trials to finally have the answer, does flaxseed lower blood pressure? The investigators highlighted one study that had looked at the effects of ground flaxseed as well as flax oil for its cardioprotective effects. And they found that 30 grams or three heaping tablespoons of ground flaxseed per day does indeed significantly lower blood pressure, particularly in those patients that are already on blood pressure lowering medications, but still have elevated blood pressure levels. Now flax oil can also lower blood pressure, but to a lesser degree of what ground flaxseed has shown. In my PhD thesis work, we showed that flaxseed lowered blood pressure likely through lowering the concentrations of particular pro-inflammatory and blood vessel constricting molecules called oxylipins. Now, if you would like to add ground flaxseed to your diet, please do so slowly as it has a lot of fiber in it and we need to work our way slowly up to see what our body can handle. The next dietary strategy I'm going to share with you is bioactive hydrolyzed peptides that, for example, can be found in fermented milk. Now, if you recall, I talked about hydrolyzed peptides in the bone broth talk. Some research has shown that hydrolyzed peptides from various sources, such as pea protein, soy protein, collagen, etc., may have blood pressure lowering properties. 
Now, in particular, this study had investigated 100 to 400 milliliters of fermented milk, which was a good source of those hydrolyzed peptides, and was tested across various clinical trials, and they too found a significant reduction in blood pressure. Now, the proposed mechanism is that these bioactive peptides are small enough to escape the digestive enzymes, and as a result, can enter into our bloodstream directly. Now, these bioactive peptides can actually inhibit an enzyme called the angiotensin-converting enzyme, as a result, lowering our blood pressure, which is actually the same mechanism as one of the blood pressure-lowering medications that many patients are on today. So let's jump right into the supplement category. Now, before we jump into this category, I want to share with you a little bit of an opinion or maybe go on a tiny rant just for a minute about supplements. And that is dietary supplements will never replace a well-balanced diet, as there have been quite a few long-term trials that have compared those that have taken supplements versus those that have not. And they have shown that people taking supplements do not live longer, they do not have a decrease in chronic disease or conditions, and they do not have an increase in quality of life. So as a result, it is so important to make sure that we have a balanced, healthy diet first and then can consider adding supplements if needed. Now, in those previous studies I mentioned, they were particularly looking at a multivitamin, multimineral supplement. They didn't look at a variety of supplements. But needless to say, the reason why I feel we need to have a well-balanced diet first is because there are so many healthful components that are in healthy foods that we're simply not getting in supplements. For example, there is a compound that we've recently discovered called abscisic acid. We're just finding out now that abscisic acid has protective qualities against diabetes. Now, this compound can be found in a lot of fruits. Now, if someone was just taking a vitamin C supplement thinking they were getting all the nutrients they needed from fruits, they'd actually be missing the abscisic acid and its healthful properties. So as a result, again, please make sure that you have a healthful diet first, and then you can consider supplements if needed. With that being said, let's jump into our very first supplement, which is in fact vitamin C. Now, many clinical trials have looked at different doses of vitamin C supplementation and have settled on a median dose of 500 milligrams per day, which did indeed have a significant reduction in blood pressure. Now, the proposed mechanism is the antioxidant capabilities as vitamin C, as one of the causes of hypertension is oxidative stress and inflammation. Thus, vitamin C may have the ability to lower oxidative stress and inflammation, and thus our blood pressure. Now, more doesn't necessarily mean the better, because the tolerable upper intake level or the maximum dose of vitamin C before negative side effects occur is 2,000 milligrams a day. So make sure not to exceed that, otherwise symptoms such as diarrhea and gastrointestinal disturbances may occur. And the next supplement that some investigators have looked at are the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA, and DHA, which can be found in fish oil, algae supplements, as well as fatty fish such as salmon. Now, the investigators looked at a variety of doses of the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. They did indeed see a significant reduction in blood pressure. The mechanism of action here is proposed to be reducing inflammation and total peripheral resistance, i.e. how much resistance your blood and blood vessels are generating against your heart. The next supplement I'm going to bring up is coenzyme Q10, which also acts as an antioxidant. 
Now, our body actually makes coenzyme Q10. But as we age, or if we take statins, which is a cholesterol-lowering medication, we actually have much lower levels of coenzyme Q10. As a result, adding coenzyme Q10 through a supplement of 30 to 225 milligrams per day has shown to have very beneficial effects in regard to blood pressure. Now that I've covered some supplement and dietary strategies, I want to talk very briefly about medications. Now, when I was conducting the hypertension awareness clinics, the number one reason why we saw emergency hypertension levels is because people just stopped taking their blood pressure medication. And I can understand a lot of the reasons why people stopped. For example, they didn't like the side effects, or they felt guilty or embarrassed that they needed this medication, or they thought that they may be able to manage their hypertension through other ways. But one thing I want to say in particular about blood pressure is that when it skyrockets to emergency levels, which it can do quite easily if you just stop taking your medication right away, it puts someone at such a high risk of cardiovascular events such as a stroke or a heart attack. The blood pressure medication is one of the most dangerous medications to just stop immediately. So I do encourage people to add some of these healthy lifestyle, dietary, or supplement strategies in order to manage their hypertension, but please do so under the guidance of a physician. Because if you can obtain very good blood pressure levels, your physician can likely wean you slowly off of the medication, which is the safest way to do so. The last thing I want to talk about is monitoring our blood pressure. Now, there are a lot of very affordable at-home blood pressure machines, which I really do encourage people to purchase, particularly if you are above the age of 50, because age is a risk factor for developing hypertension. So, for example, I bought my parents a blood pressure machine, and I check in with them about once a month, making sure that they've measured their blood pressure to make sure that it hasn't skyrocketed and gone up. The pharmacy also has the blood pressure machines as well, which can be a very good source to have information about your blood pressure. But one thing I will say is that those blood pressure cuffs are not made for every arm size. A couple of the machines I've come across will max out at about a 12 to 13 centimeter circumference in size for your arm. And my arm comes almost close to that maximum size. So if you do have a larger arm, please do know that those pharmacy machines will actually artificially inflate the reading of your blood pressure. So either purchase an at-home monitor that has a cuff size appropriate for your arm, or do make sure to get your blood pressure checked regularly at your physician's office. That is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope that it was really interesting and informative for all of you. So I tried to share a little bit of some interesting facts, but in the end, it's really up to you and whether or not you're going to make some of these healthy lifestyle changes. Because in the end, we only have one body and we have to do our best to take the best care of it as we possibly can. So I hope you all have a super healthy week and please tune in next week for the next episode of The People's Scientist. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.